Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When our God created Adam and Eve, he created them in a way such that he would indwell within them. He breathed within them the breath of life and they became a living being. And that which he breathed within them is a unique construction of two Hebrew words, the words nishmat chayim, which refer to the very Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God was breathed within humanity, breathed within Adam, and he became a living being in the sense that the life of God was dwelling within Adam, and it was the presence of life that made him alive. Then the Lord gave the commandment, he gave the law, that in the day that he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, in that day he would surely die. And Adam and Eve did eat from that tree, and in that very day, at that very moment, they did die. They actually died. The death that they experienced, however, was a spiritual death. Obviously, they didn't die physically. They continued to live. They had children. They did some farming. They seemed to be quite active for a couple of dead people. Well, they were spiritually dead, whereas the presence of the living God was breathed within them through creation, through their creation, and then that life departed from within them as a result of their sin. And it was on that basis that the definition of a law of sin and death was well understood, and that was that in the day that you sin, you die. That was the effect in the Garden of Eden when they believed the satanic lie that if they knew what was good and evil, they could be like God. So Adam and Eve were in a condition where they were spiritually dead, and when they gave birth to their children, their children were then born in the image of Adam, not in the image of God, which meant that they were born spiritually dead without the presence of the living God, the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. And since then, everyone who has been born into the world, everyone has been born spiritually dead, and therefore they have a need and that is to be made alive. Now, what the Lord Jesus came to do, what he came to accomplish, was he came to accomplish forgiveness, forgiveness for the sin of humanity, so that the Holy Spirit could be offered to humanity, and if we would receive the Holy Spirit as it is freely being offered, then that Spirit would indwell within us permanently because all sin was forgiven on the cross. This is the gospel. The gospel has to do with sin and death, forgiveness and the restoration of life. Again, that's sin, death, forgiveness, and the restoration of life. But in the meantime, in the meantime, between the time that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden, and of course the time when Jesus was able to offer to us the free gift of eternal life, in that time period, and also today, people have been living, they have been functioning, they've been doing things, they've been busy, They've been doing things that are in violation of the law. They have been doing things that are not in violation of the law. The law that was presented through Moses or that which has been defined as good or evil by our God. 
We have plenty of evidence to show that there has been a clear understanding in people's lives concerning what is really good and evil overall from a general perspective. And so there's no need to open discussion about that. But the point is, is that people have been living and they have been performing various works. Those works, however, have been performed by a bunch of dead people. Dead people who do not have the Spirit of God indwelling within them. And so whatever works they perform, if they are considered to be good works, well, they're not really good works from God's perspective because they do not originate out of Him. They do not originate out of His inspiration or out of His direct involvement or intervention. They're just simply things that we do on our own. And yet our works are not His works. Our works are done out of our own self-interest or out of a desire to increase our pride, or out of our interest to be accepted by other people or be liked by other people. All of our works are done out of our own personal self-interest. However, when our God intervenes and when he involves himself in our lives, the works that he performs are definitely pure, righteous, holy works. And so when the writer of the letter to the Hebrews wrote, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1, he wrote, Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. When he's talking about repentance from dead works, I believe he's talking about repentance from or turning away from all of those works that a bunch of dead people do, spiritually dead people do, that result in spiritually dead things, that they are dead works, that they are not living works. And I sincerely believe that the only living works that could occur or that could exist are those works that are done by the living God, not those works that are done by a bunch of dead people that are here on the earth who do not have the presence of the living God indwelling within them, even though we were created in such a way that we required his presence to indwell within us for us to function for the divine purpose for which he made us. And so if we want to see living works then we need the intervention of our God. Any other work is going to be a dead work, and that is something that we need to repent of, or we need to repent from. We need to repent from our works of our flesh, our works that we try to do in order to obtain or sustain our right standing before our God or before others. For whatever reason we may perform works, we need to repent from those and turn away from those and turn to the living God and seek for his divine intervention on this matter. Now, I'm not going to spend any time in this program describing the differences between dead works and living works, beyond just mentioning that living works are works that our God does. And certainly, he can do works within and through his people. But how are we going to be able to distinguish between dead works that we perform out of our own initiative and living works that he will perform within and through us. Well, again, this is not the topic for this program, and so I'm just going to mention that there is a very distinct difference. There is a major difference between works that people do in the energy of their flesh versus those works that the living God can do within and through his living people. And what I mean by living people is those people who have received the free gift of life eternal life, that is the life of God, the Holy Spirit of God, who will never depart from within his people once they receive him freely because of the complete forgiveness that he executed on our behalf through the Lord Jesus dying on the cross.
Instead, in this program, what I would like to talk about is Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, the writer goes on to say that there are other things that describe the milk of the scriptures, and these are things that we would expect a new believer to understand, and once they understand these things, then a person could go on to maturity to deal with what would be considered to be the solid food of the scriptures. In Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, it is written of instruction about washings and laying on of hands and the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, and this we will do if God permits, in verse 3. And what I would like to talk about in this program is in verse 2 about instruction about washings, because this is related to what I just described concerning the gospel, concerning spiritual death, spiritual resurrection, repentance from dead works. It is very connected. You see, when it comes to washings, then what we're really looking at is the subject of baptism. And baptism is a very big subject. Of course, there is a lot of controversy surrounding the subject of baptism. I have done a series of programs on the history and the purpose of baptism, and I'll refer to a couple of things that I did explain in those programs in this broadcast. This broadcast is definitely not going to be a complete presentation on the subject of baptism. I would like to defer you to the other programs that I have done on that subject to include the study that I did, the verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. That also would be very valuable. But in this program, I would like to mention what Peter said in Acts chapter 11. In Acts chapter 11, verse 16, he said, And I remember the word of the Lord, how he used to say that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That in this context, the idea of baptism was something that was given or something that was used in order to teach us about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is salvation. It is the restoration of the Holy Spirit. It is being identified with or by the Holy Spirit. It is to be immersed in the Holy Spirit or immersed by the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit indwelling within you, you are resurrected immediately, and you are saved, saved from your condition of being dead. That is salvation. And so when it comes to the subject of washings, the subject of washings leads to the subject of salvation. And we would expect that if a person is going to move on into maturity after understanding the milk of the scriptures... Well, then the milk of the scriptures is going to have to include some of these basic fundamental things that a new believer would be expected to know and understand and embrace before they could move on into maturity. And definitely, one thing that a new believer has to know, understand, and embrace is salvation. That is definitely something that they have to be able to believe in, to acknowledge. Otherwise, chances are they're not saved. Baptism was used by the living God as a way of explaining to the people in Israel about the subject of salvation. He used that as a tool to tell them about the spiritual baptism, the restoration of the Holy Spirit that would eventually occur or that would eventually be presented to humanity so that people could receive the spirit of life and be resurrected. Now, what I find to be very interesting about this subject of washings is that Baptism did not start in the Law of Moses. I mean, it did in a certain way, in the sense that if you were to go through the Law of Moses, you would find a lot in there concerning ritual washings, that there were many opportunities 
for a person to become ritually unclean. And through that uncleanness, they would then go through a ritual washing of sorts so that they could become ritually clean. And it's just about impossible to avoid all of the circumstances that are defined in the law that describe the opportunities in which you would become ritually unclean. It's virtually impossible to avoid. And so everybody knew about this. Everybody understood this very well. Well, what happened was, was that the Pharisees were becoming very evangelistic, and this happened shortly after the Maccabean Wars. They were going out into the surrounding nations, first as simple ambassadors to other countries, in order to establish their identity as a nation once again. They sent ambassadors to Rome, for example, and other places in order to be representatives of the nation of Israel. And while they were there, they found themselves speaking with other people who wanted to become Israelites. They wanted to worship and serve the living God who had performed so many real miracles in their time era that they wanted to know this God, they wanted to serve him, have a relationship with him. And so the Pharisees accommodated that interest, and the way that they accommodated it was that they found a way, or they derived a way, that a Gentile could be converted to Judaism. And there were two things that had to be addressed. The first thing was that the person had to commit themselves to living in obedience to the Mosaic law, and in addition to that, they had to be circumcised as part of the requirements of the Mosaic law. And the second thing that they would have to do was undergo ritual immersion, or what was then described as baptism, in order to cleanse them from all of the ritual uncleanness that they will have encountered throughout their life that they would need to be cleansed from in accordance with the Mosaic law. However, in this case, the ritual cleansing or the baptism was done under supervision. Somebody would be there as a witness in order to testify that the individual did do it correctly, that the person did go through that process, so that if there would be any question concerning the individual's conversion, there would be someone who could stand as a witness to testify of that fact. That was the introduction of baptism. It was a means by which the Pharisees would convert a Gentile to Judaism. But then Jesus came on the scene, and then baptism was used for another purpose. And that was, of course, inspired by John the Baptist when he started to baptize for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons that he gave was to be able to identify who the Messiah would be. And so he baptized people, following through with what the Lord commanded him to do, telling him that through the baptisms that he was performing, eventually there would be an individual who he would baptize, and the Lord would give evidence to John the Baptist that this would be the Messiah, so that John could testify of that truth. He could testify of that reality. John then continued to baptize people. Jesus' disciples continued to baptize people. But what was so unique about this baptism? It was unique. It was different. Baptism was not new to the nation of Israel. It was not new to the Jewish people. People knew about baptism. It was not a new doctrine that was derived by John the Baptist. It was a well-known doctrine that was derived by the Pharisees and had been utilized for at least a 100 years by this time in history. I would guess about 150, maybe even a little bit longer than that in terms of years, about 150, 170 years. I haven't yet done the calculations to figure out when I suspect it probably actually started versus the time when the Lord Jesus was conducting his ministry. That's not that important. The issue is is that John was baptizing, and it was a major event in Israel. But the reason why it was a major event was because he was baptizing Jews. That was the issue that caused the Pharisees to come out from Jerusalem and hunt John the Baptist down 
somewhere out there in the wilderness at the Jordan River, the Pharisees came out to ask him, who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? Is he Elijah? Is he the prophet? Why is he baptizing? Why? Because what he was doing was extremely unusual. Not the baptism itself, but the fact that he was baptizing Jews. Because through baptizing Jews, according to the definition of baptism, what he was effectively stating, what he was saying, was that the Jews were just as unclean as the Gentiles and needed to be converted in a similar way that the Gentiles needed to be converted. And that was an affront. It was definitely against the pharisaical doctrines concerning the Jews and their position, their status with the living God in terms of their relationship with him and their place in his kingdom. So the subject of ritual washings is definitely an important subject. However, when it comes to ritual washings, instruction about washings as being the milk of the scriptures, this is what needs to be understood. First of all, that in the law it is virtually impossible to avoid circumstances of uncleanness. That is a way of saying that it is impossible of avoiding sin, that at some point you are going to sin. That's the first thing to understand. The second thing to understand is that the Lord Jesus used a pharisaical doctrine in order to explain a spiritual truth that we needed to understand. He used the doctrine of baptism in order to explain the doctrine of being resurrected, being baptized by the Spirit instead of in water. He used a Pharisaical teaching in order to explain his own teaching, and that was that we needed to be saved through the restoration of the Holy Spirit by being immersed in him or by him. And that definitely deals with the problem between us and God that was defined in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate from the wrong tree and they died spiritually. In order to resolve that, there has to be a restoration of the life of God that had been lost. So that's the subject of ritual washings of baptisms in effect. The subject of baptism is a subject that reveals the sinful nature of humanity, the necessity for forgiveness, and the necessity for the restoration of the Holy Spirit. And through that, the Lord Jesus was able to explain salvation to the Hebrews in a way that the Hebrews could have easily understood, in a way that they could definitely embrace, especially when it comes to the importance of understanding that this new covenant is totally distinct from the old covenant that this is a fundamental teaching, a fundamental understanding. The Hebrews were struggling with this. They were really struggling with this. If you were to look into the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 11, it was in Acts chapter 11, beginning again from verse 16, and then down to verse 18, that the church discovered that a Gentile could actually be saved without first becoming a Jew, which meant that a Gentile could actually be saved without first being baptized. This is a fundamental teaching that the Hebrews were struggling with. The writer is telling them that they need to get this one straight, that if they're going to move on to maturity, they have to have a clear understanding about the instructions concerning ritual washings, their usage, the purposes of them, and how the Lord Jesus used them in order to explain the spiritual reality of being saved. And as you continue to read in the book of Acts, into Acts chapter 15, again, the people, 
the Israelites, the Hebrews, they were still wrestling and struggling with the issues concerning the Old and the New Covenants. For example, if you were to look at the discussion that's described there between the Pharisees who believed in Jesus, Peter, and James, if you look at that very closely, you can see that the Hebrews may not have required the Gentiles to be baptized because of what they learned in Acts chapter 11. However, they still were believing that a Gentile would need to be circumcised and live in obedience to the rest of the law of Moses. Now, how are you going to move on into maturity if you're still believing that a person has to be circumcised and live in obedience to the law of Moses? That is not a mature Christian. There's no way for that person to be a mature Christian. That's just simply not possible for anyone to grow in their relationship with Christ Jesus if that's what they believe concerning their relationship with the living God right now. If you are born again by the Spirit of God, you live in a completely different way of life that is described in the New Covenant, not in the Old Covenant. But the Hebrews at that time did not understand that. Again, if you were to look at Acts chapter 15 and see the discussion, it was about Gentiles. And they certainly came to a conclusion, but their conclusion as was explained by James, was don't worry about the Gentiles. If they want to hear the truth, they can go into the synagogue where Moses is preached every Sabbath. That was his consolation to the people there. But what about the Jews? What about the other Hebrews? Well, it's obvious that the Hebrews believed that if you were a Hebrew, if you were a Jew, then if you were to be saved, you had to, of course, be baptized like everybody else was. You would have to go through that, and then you would receive the Holy Spirit, and then you would have to live a life of obedience to the Mosaic Law. This is definitely somebody who does not understand the problem at hand, does not truly understand what salvation is about. They did not understand the differences between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and so as a result, they were definitely a bunch of babies. They were a bunch of infants, not ready to move on to maturity. And so the writer of the letter to the Hebrews is saying this in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 2, that a person has to have clear, absolute, and complete instruction concerning washings. That this is a very important subject, and they didn't get it. They didn't get it. Even towards the end of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, they still didn't get it. The last time he was in Israel, he made an attempt to speak to the Hebrews concerning the issues, and they didn't understand. They were still a bunch of babies. I believe the writer of this letter, who to me is quite likely the Apostle Paul, is making an appeal to them once again. And I personally believe that this letter was written after the Apostle Paul was there in Jerusalem, that the writer is writing to the people with another attempt to speak to them about maturity, that they needed to mature. And, of course, the evidence, the proof that they were not mature was the fact that they were not actively teaching other people about the Lord Jesus. As it is written in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. And this is one of the things that they did not understand. They did not understand the instruction, the purpose for ritual washings as was revealed in the law of Moses, as was revealed through John the Baptist, 
and definitely as it was revealed through the Lord Jesus concerning the restoration of the Holy Spirit, the gospel, and salvation. And so this should be an indicator to you concerning many people's lives today, many people's beliefs today. It should be an indicator concerning their growth and maturity in Christ Jesus. That if a person has a very poor understanding of the subject of ritual washings, they are still needing discipleship in the milk of the scriptures. They still need instruction concerning the basic fundamentals of the scriptures. If a person does not understand the history and purpose of baptism, they are not going to fully understand how that subject was used in the scriptures, how the church struggled and matured in the scriptures. The disagreements and the conflicts that are recorded in the scriptures are going to be very difficult to understand if a person does not understand the subject of ritual washings or the subject of baptism. If a person does not understand these things, then there's an awful lot in the scriptures that they are not going to be able to fully appreciate or understand. And today, they are still not going to be able to make it past the basic fundamentals of the faith so that they can move on into maturity that is described in the scriptures. There's no way for a person to move on to maturity today either. If they are stuck in these things, if they don't understand how the Lord our God used the subject of ritual washings, how he used the subject of baptism, if a person does not understand that, then it's going to be very difficult for them to mature in their faith today. Because an understanding of these things is necessary in order to understand much of the scriptures, and it's necessary for a person to understand these things in order to get past the basic fundamental issues concerning law and grace, concerning the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Many people are believing today that the Old Covenant is the New. In other words, what they believe is the New Covenant is not the New Covenant, but it truly is the Old Covenant. And a person cannot grow and mature until they embrace the New Covenant fully and live in the reality of what Christ Jesus has already done for us. You've been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net